ready? <laughs> okay. All right. So obviously I'm in a little bit of a mood um, today. I'll try to not have that affect the, the message just today. Yeah. We're continuing our study of Paul's letter of the Romans. And we've really come to the heart of his message as we got to the end of chapter 3 last time. The gospel, as Paul says, which is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, is not about salvation based on works or the law because no one, Jew or Gentile, is righteous. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what Paul claims is there's a righteousness of God that operates apart from the law, independent of the law, not replacing the law, independent of it. But that righteousness of faith is actually witnessed to or testified about in the law and the prophets. And because God is the God of Israel and the nations, He will justify Israel by faith and the nations through faith. And because it's faith and not works, there's no place for human boasting and no arrogance. At the same time, Paul is quick to make clear that this faith doesn't nullify the law, but in fact establishes it and maintains it. He'll talk more about that later, not in what we look at today. So what he's going to do now is give us an example from the Torah and from the prophets of what he's talking about. This faith of righteousness, this righteousness which is of faith, not a righteousness of obeying the commandments, but a righteousness of faith that is critical for um, understanding the gospel. So, we begin in Romans chapter 4. We'll start with the first three verses. Paul says, uh, What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? When he says are there, he's speaking as a Jew, to the Jewish believers, the Gentiles are also hearing it, but he's saying, Abraham, who is our father after the flesh, uh, Abraham is the beginning of the Jewish people. Um, what did he find? He says in verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, really important. Drawing on the Torah, Paul is going to use Abraham as the example of this righteousness of faith. And he's going to say, if, if Abraham was justified by his works, then he could boast. Hey God, I did this, you owe me. Right? He says, but that's not what happened. So what Paul does is he takes us to Genesis chapter 15. I'd like you to turn there. I really would like to take the whole chapter, but I don't want to get lost in this, in this process. So we're just going to look at the first seven verses. Now this is before Abraham's name becomes Abraham. He's still called Avram. Uh, he says, The word of the Lord came to Avram in a vision, saying, Don't fear, Avram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Now, he's already been given a promise, uh, and he's been waiting for it, right? So, Avram says, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless? And the heir of my son is Eliezer of Damascus. 
since you've given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. And so he's saying, my servant, Eleazar, who was born in my household, he's going to inherit. You haven't given me a child. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir. For one will come forth from your own body and shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Now look into the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And then he said, Your descendants shall be as these. Verse 6, Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, reckoned it to Abraham as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. Now, really important stuff here. Uh, Abraham is the example. God made a promise to Abraham, but it hasn't come about. And God's reiterating the promise and Abraham says, how is this going to happen? Eleazar is going to be my heir. And God says, nope. Out of your own body. Now at this time, Abraham and Sarah are old. They're past childbearing. Uh, they're not completely past it, but they're close to it. They're going to help God out in a way. But, but the, the struggle here is Abraham's got to believe God and not try to figure out how God's going to do it. So, Abraham then, and I'm going to just summarize the rest of the chapter. Abraham says, well, how will I know? You've told me. How will I know that'll be? And God says, get animals for a sacrifice, cut them in half, and wait. And Abraham does it. There's supposed to be an agreement. The agreement has two people walk through the carved pieces of the animals, and that becomes the, the covenant kind of thing. Abraham, the birds are coming down, getting the food. He's beating them off. God's just waiting. I think God wants him to experience... This is going to take some time. And then what he says is, he goes into a, a deep sleep, and then he sees a smoking furnace and a cloud going between the pieces. Abraham's not going to do it. God's going to do it. And God says, I'm going to do this in 400 years after you're dead. I'm going to bring this about with your seed coming into the land. Well, I don't have a kid. I don't have anything. Abraham's got to believe that God's going to do it when all the circumstances, everything says this isn't possible. Okay? So, there's a lot in that passage. I love to go through it, but we've got to stay in Romans. So, back to Romans. We're going to pick it up at verse 4. So Paul's argument is this is not something that you earn. So he says in verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor. The word there is grace. Okay. But as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him uh, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David, um, who speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from his works. So he now is going to quote David. Blessed are those whose lawless 
meritorious deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So Paul wants to make this clear. Somebody does a good work. Okay? He's owed. Okay? If we work, we obey God, we do this stuff, then, then there is a reward for that. That's not grace. And salvation is by grace through faith. And Paul's going to, to push that over and over for us to get that. That this is done by God's grace who blesses the unrighteous man with forgiveness. And who will not... I want to get these words right. The man who sins, God will not take into account. Imagine standing before a judge, guilty as you can be. And they're all ready to say, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. And the judge says, first of all, I'm not taking that into account in this case. That's what he's saying. This is not, well, he was pretty good except for that one bad day. Right? I'm not taking his sins into account. So, Paul has drawn from Abraham in the Torah, and now he draws from David in the Psalms, which represents the prophets, the law and the prophets. What Paul's saying is, this is all through the scriptures, this righteousness of faith, that is a blessing by grace on the man who is not worthy of it, has no place to boast, but who trusts in God. So now in verse 9, Paul says, Is this blessing, the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of sins covered, the blessing of God not taking your sins into account? That, that just overwhelms me at times. Who, who's that to? So, verse 9. Is this blessing then on the circumcised? Or on the uncircumcised. For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? When he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while he was uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited for them. Notice Paul begins with us. He doesn't begin with Israel. He's beginning with the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. Abraham was one of y'all. But he had faith and God credited it for righteousness. And then God gave him the seal of that circumcision, the Abrahamic covenant. So that he says he's the father of the circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision. But who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father. He's being a Jew talk. Our father Abraham, which he had while he was uncircumcised. So, this righteousness of faith 
And this blessing of forgiveness, sins covered and sins not taken into account, is to who? Well, there's only two groups in the world, <laughs> in the biblical sense. There's, there's the Jews and there's the nations. And he basically says he was from the nations when he made the statement. And then he became the father of the Jews. And that's the Abrahamic covenant. You can read in Genesis 17. Again, I don't have time to do that. Uh, this is where God says, I'm going to do this. 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 Now, here's what you do. On the eighth day of the, after the, a boy is born, you will circumcise him. And if you don't circumcise him, he'll be cut off from the people. And of course, later, Moses didn't circumcise his son. And we see God going after Moses on that behalf. Because that's, that's an important thing. So, there is no discounting this. It's just not part of the righteousness of faith. So, Paul says, this goes to the Gentiles who have a righteousness of faith. And it goes to the Jews who are circumcised and have the covenant and all the advantage that I've just talked about and who also have the faith of Abraham. That faith of Abraham. Well, what is that faith to Abraham? So we'll pick it up at Romans 4, verse 13. The promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world, was not through the law. I've just told you what chapter 17 was. It didn't say you'll keep the commandments. It said you'll circumcise your kids, your boys. That's the Abraham. Jews don't circumcise because of the Mosaic covenant. They circumcise because of the Abrahamic covenant. It's included in the Mosaic covenant, brought into it, but it starts with the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? So, the promise to Abraham and his descendants that he would be the heir of the world. Notice that, the heir of the world, not just the land, the blessing to all the nations, right? Was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. For those who are of the law, if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is nullified. Why? Because the law is commandments. And the commandments say this. If you obey the commandments, you will live. And if you don't obey the commandments, you will die. There's no grace there. There's no faith there. There's just obedience or not obedience. That's not what this is based on. This is based on, God said I'm going to do something, do you trust me? That's really what God is saying to it. You trust me? Or are you going to trust yourself? Right? So he says, in uh, 15, For the law brings about wrath, right? Because we can't live up to it. But where there is no law, there is no violation. Now, people misread this. This is not getting rid of the law. He's saying, in Abraham's situation, there was no law. There was a promise and a trust. A promise of forgiveness 
and a promise of trust and a, and a response of trust is what we do. This is not something you work for. This is something you accept. And I know we say that a lot. We've gotten kind of callous to the words. But I want us to really catch this. There is nothing that we can do to bring about anything towards our salvation and our being accepted by God. It all has to be on His. But we have to say, I believe He'll do it. I trust Him. So he says, in verse uh, 16, For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed. It can't be guaranteed if it depends on us. If it depends on our obedience, there's no guarantee of the promise. If the promise has conditions, if you obey me, I will save you. He says, I will save you if you trust me. Okay, I'll trust you, right? Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Who, now Paul says, he's the father of all of us. There's a great book, if you ever get a chance to read it, Our Father Abraham, written about this very thing. Very, very uh, good insight about this idea that Abra- the faith of Judaism and the faith of Christianity are Abrahamic faiths. They, they come from this essence. And in Judaism, they understand a difference between earning something and being given it. Uh, not all, but some. And Paul talks about that. He's going to talk about that later in this book. So, the law has consequences. It brings judgment. It brings wrath. But this is done apart from the law. That's why God made it by faith, so it could be based on grace, not earned, and therefore it guarantees that it will come about. So, what exactly is the heart of this faith issue? It's trust in God, but it's in God who promises. Okay? So we pick it up at 17. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him who he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. This is not just in a hope of God. This is in a hope of God who gives life from the dead. This is a resurrection faith. And God calls things into beings. He has control over reality. If you don't, if you don't believe in God having control over reality, you're going to manipulate as many things as you can. If you believe that he can do whatever he says, because he said he'd do it, and he has that capacity, then you can rest in him. You can trust in him. So in verse 18 it says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. 
He believed it, he trusted it, and he hoped against hope. What does that mean? The reality says the promise isn't going to happen. The reality says there's no way this is going to happen. Okay? Verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead. Now he's not talking about dead in the sense that he's, that he's dead, but dead in the sense that he's not bringing life to anything. Abraham is going to have no, no children, right? And the deadness of Sarah's womb, okay? We're beyond that point. That isn't going to happen, right? So God says, this child is coming out of your body. So Abraham's got to decide. Do I go with circumstances and reality? Or do I follow the word of God? And you and I have the same choice. That's really what this faith is about. Do we believe that God can raise the dead? Because that's the hope. If, if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, Paul's going to get to that. Then this whole thing is a joke. So we have to believe that God can raise the dead. He can call anything into existence. That means he can do anything he's promised. Whether we can figure it out or not. And so, the faith is in the God who can raise the dead. And the God who can keep his promise. And so he says, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. I don't know how he did that. We don't have a lot of that. But he seemed to act as if what God said is going to be true. Now we know from the story of Abraham, he had some uh, hiccups along the way. Okay, We know the story of, of uh, Pharaoh and we know the other stories. Uh, this is not about perfection. Remember, this is not about performance. This is about trusting that God will do it. Sometimes we understand what God does and we behave appropriately. And sometimes we understand what God is doing and we behave inappropriately. We think we're helping God out. Okay? Either way, those are uh, steps of faith. Even though in one case it involves missing the mark, right? Sinning. Therefore, he says... Well, verse 21, being fully assured, here's the faith, being fully assured that what God had promised, He was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to Him as righteousness. It's a, it's a great example that Paul's giving of this righteousness of faith. But then there's a little bit of a snag. We know that we can't take the Bible and just take any verse, pull it out, and apply it to ourselves, right? Judas went and hung himself. Go thou and do likewise. What you do, do quickly, right? That, that's, you can't do that. And a lot of people take Bible verse. I'm claiming this verse that it's a promise made to Josiah or somebody, right? So Paul wants to make it clear 
that we're included in this. Now, he's already said that when he started it, right? He said this went to Abraham when he was uh, uncircumcised, so this promise is to the Gentiles and it's to those of the law. But he wants to make it clear. So he does that in verse uh, 24. Uh, Verse 23. Not only for his sake was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. The heart of Paul's gospel is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if that's true, all the rest of it is easy. Right? And if that's not true, none of the rest of it matters. Because if there's not a conquering of death, literally, not floating off in, you know, into heaven, but real resurrection, there is no faith. And Paul's going to get to that. So he says, this is Jesus whom he raised from the dead, who was delivered over because of our transgressions. This is really, really important. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. There really is access to forgiveness, to covering, to atonement. And it's given to us by grace. It's grabbed on to by faith. So you can trust your own righteousness and hope to boast before God, I did some good things for you, God, right? I always hate it when somebody says, boy, if you would become a believer, what great things you could do for God. Nobody does great things for God. We may glorify God, but we don't do great for Him. We, we have a great God who does things in us and in spite of us, right? Uh, but this is about... Grace through faith. Now, the reason I wanted to go through Romans again as we become more of a Torah-oriented congregation, one of the things I see in the movement is that as people begin to embrace the commandments of God and the blessings that come from those commandments and the... uh, Wisdom that comes from understanding. Because right, Paul says we're not getting rid of those. We're established and maintained. It's very easy to fall into one of two traps. The trap of judging the others who aren't doing what you're doing. Look at me, I'm running faster than you. Okay? Or, and this is much more dangerous, to fall into a works-based salvation mindset, which will do one of two things to you. If you're arrogant, it will make you think you're really something for God. And we're seeing people who are falling from that arrogance. Or the one that I'm more prone to. You begin to really see your life up against that mirror and you begin to think I'm not savable 
I've gone too far. Too often. Too, and then you just give up. That's not good. This is a righteousness apart from that. We'll talk about that later. This is really about you and God. Do you trust Him? Do you believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead? And are you clinging to that promise? That's the heart of the gospel. And Paul's going to go over that over and over as he tries to weave in Israel and the, the, the law and all kinds of things in the rest of the book. There will be no boasting in God's presence. I'm pretty sure most of us will be grateful, glorious seeing Him coming. We'll also, I, I, I always have in my mind that scene at the end of Schindler's List. When Schindler realizes he could have, he could have taken this button that he had and the car that he had, and he, I could have gotten more souls. But the issue is not our works. The issue is the one who promised. And Abraham understood that. Because God said, now that you got the promise, kill it. And I don't have time, but you know the story. Kill the promise. But Abraham knew that if God had to raise Isaac from the dead, God would keep his promise. We need the faith of Abraham. Because that gives us the access to the grace that God is pouring out towards us. That amazing grace. That grace that is greater than all our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the truths that are there. We can easily get sidetracked into works. Either to judge one another. To condemn one another. To gloat over one another. Or to, in moments of reality, see our wretchedness. And just think we're too far gone. But your grace and your mercy is everlasting. So help us to walk in trust. And keep our eyes on the promise while we steward all of these other things, let us keep that as primary. That by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. We thank you for that gift, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well that was a little shorter than normal, but that's where I am. Q&A, all right.